You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on June 4, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. Okay, we're going to read more. We're going to now re- pick it up in, um, in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we come around your word this morning, we ask that indeed you would bless it to us, bless the understanding of it to us, we pray. And Lord, indeed, may you speak to our hearts and our being. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we explored the question, what is revival? Now in my earlier days I attended a Welsh Presbyterian church in Sebastopol, uh, near Ballarat of course, part of Ballarat. And on one occasion, in fact it happened more than once, but uh, on this particular occasion as I remember I was attending a men's breakfast and the Holy Spirit cut, cut deep into all those present. About 15 men present, we were in prayer and the Holy Spirit arrived and grown men, all of a sudden, were weeping tears of repentance, myself included. Lives were changed. This wasn't something that you could plan. The devotion beforehand, the, the devotion, the word that was given was nothing exceptional. Of course, it was God's word, so that makes it exceptional. In 1904... Revival broke out in Wales. It was led by a young man of 25 years old. He was old, young I should say, and he felt a call to speak the things that God had laid on his heart. And so he he went to his uh, home minister. He asked if he could could speak. His, His home pastor wasn't quite sure what to do with him. You know, us pastors, we don't always know what to do. However, he allowed Roberts to speak after an evening service. Sixteen people 
and one girl, they stayed back to hear what he had to say. And Roberts wasted no time into getting to the heart of his message and he declared the following things to the hearers. He declared, confess all known sin to God, put away all doubtful habits, obey the Holy Spirit promptly and confess Christ publicly. And what followed was a deep sense of conviction by the Holy Spirit. Word spread of what God was doing and fervent prayer for awakening went forth all over Wales. And those prayers were heard almost instantly. Within weeks, the fires of revival were blazed throughout the nation. Half-empty churches became full. Within a couple of months, Wales was a changed nation. Crime was reduced almost to nothing. Magistrates had nothing to do. But there were quite a number of bankruptcies because taverns were nearly empty. A reporter went to a police station wondering what the police were doing now with their time since there was little crime. He was told the police have two purposes, to deal with crime and control the crowds. But since the revival there was no crime and so we go to where the crowds are going, to where they're gathering. We go to the churches. As many of our uh, of our policemen have the good singing voices, we've formed three quartets. And so they would sing at the meetings whenever the opportunity arose. There were such radical changes in the coal mines that there was a slowdown in the mines. The pit ponies, so used to being cursed and screamed at, by, ungod by the ungodly miners couldn't figure out what to do when their masters, who'd been transformed, now were speaking kindly to them. Just as a matter of interest for our Korean brothers and sister, two years after that event, revival broke out in Pyongyang as, as a continuation of this movement. Martin Lloyd-Jones... Of course, uh, one of the great Calvinistic Methodists, he spoke about this for the need for revival. He said this, we urgently need the Lord to rend the heavens and to come down in a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. But many of us are unsure what revival is. We're not sure what revival is. Even if God were willing to send one, when revival comes, it's entirely due to the sovereign work of God. With the Holy Spirit blessing with unusual power, the ordinary, regular ministry of the word. It cannot be manufactured, it cannot be manipulated, but rather is blessed with extraordinary effectiveness. That's what we mean when we talk about revival. The Christian faith is made up of Christian teachings, doctrines and ethics. The effect of true Christianity is an, an ethical, moral transformation in the lives of believers. Yes, we're called to worship publicly together, 
But what God does in the heart of every believer is a supernatural work of God and it's created by the Holy Spirit in his people. And every now and then, that supernatural work enjoys a season of unusual widespread renewal and revival. Now, friends, I want to talk about the most famous and the first great revival of the New Testament era. And, of course, that what I'm going to talk about is, is the revival at Pentecost. And there are some unique and unrepeatable elements, elements that are particular to this moment in salvation history that will never again occur, that make Pentecost unlike any other work of God in history. And then there are some elements that are normative for the life of the church in every time and in every age. So today we're going to look at what is extraordinary and what is normative. What was once and what ought to be expected and prayed for here today. Let's consider the extraordinary features of Pentecost. In Acts 1, verses 4 to 5, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the disciples were commanded to wait for something. And of course the disciples were believers and they were followers of Jesus the Messiah. They were elect and redeemed by his mighty grace. And yet in their experience there is something that was promised in the old covenant time that so far they haven't yet experienced that will come under the new covenant the coming of the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit that Jesus promised to come upon God's people in a new fullness, in a new measure that had not been known before, something not previously enjoyed by God's people in the same way in the old covenant that is now being given to the church under the new covenant. And there are fundamental components of this Pentecostal or Pentecost experience that is unrepeatable and it's unique. Pentecost in this sense is the pivotal point between the old and between the new covenant experience for God's people. And Pentecost is so unique and pivotal, uh, it's pivotal because of the ascension and the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he uh, return to heaven. And Christ now reigns as the sovereign Lord, the Messiah King, and he is the one who gives the Holy Spirit to his people. Now, Peter in Acts uh, 2.33, we didn't go down uh, far enough in Acts 2 in his sermon, as he preaches to this gathered crowd that has come because of the, the sound uh, and the unusual speaking, they were astonished by what they saw and they were astonished by what they heard when the Spirit was poured out. That Jesus said, therefore being exalted, exalted 
to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So the coming of the Holy Spirit in this new and this new unique way is the gift of the risen, ascended, exalted and now reigning Messiah who has finished his redeeming work. Of course, his redeeming work is what he accomplished on the cross. This is something truly new. It is a one-off, never-to-be-repeated event in salvation history. The benefit is for the church with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit given by Christ in a depth, in an intimacy and power never before enjoyed by the people of God. And firstly, in Acts uh, chapter 2, I want us to note the, um, the first thing concerning this extraordinary wonder. First of all, there was extraordinary sounds. In verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And of course, this echoes to us of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the moving of the creative wind, the breath or the spirit of God at the dawn of creation and history and, of, the, of course, later of breathing life into our first parents. And it also echoes the breath, the spirit of God, as we read last week in Ezekiel 37, verses 9 to 10, in Ezekiel's prophecy of giving life to the dry bones. The message is simply signalling the new creation, the new creation that Jesus died and rose and ascended and reigns by breaking into the world to give new life and the Spirit was poured out upon his people. So there were sounds coming from God and there were also sounds coming from the church the believers in the upper room began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they declare the good news, that is, the gospel of God, in languages they didn't learn. To people from various language groups who understood them. And there's a list of the language groups that we read in verses 8 to 11. Now, this list is very important. This highlights with the giving of the Spirit to the church in this new age of the new covenant that God is undoing judgment. God is undoing judgment. Of course, that judgment fell upon humankind in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel where God brought division by confusing the languages. And the message is the way back to unity in a broken and fallen and divided world through the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit by his gospel of grace. This is the message our community desperately needs to hear today. Amen. And secondly, there were some extraordinary sights. There were tongues of fire. Flames appeared over the heads of those who were waiting in the upper room. First in the Old Testament, the, um, we know that the emblem, the great emblem that symbolised the presence of God was fire. In Exodus 3, Moses met God 
revealed by what appeared to be a burning bush. When Israel wandered through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, God's presence was displayed in a pillar of fire that led the way. So at Pentecost, the flames of fire is a symbol of the presence of the Holy One resting upon the church, empowering, sanctifying and using them for his glory. Therefore, at Pentecost, we have extraordinary sounds and we have extraordinary sights. The sound of a wind that didn't blow and the appearance of a fire that didn't burn. What took place was something unique and something unrepeatable. However, Jesus also compares the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost that was promised in Acts 1 verse 5 to the baptism of John the Baptist. Let's have a look at that. Three years earlier, John the Baptist, he'd called all the Jewish people from all around to come into the Jordan wilderness to be baptised. Here they passed through the waters of the Jordan River in a new kind of symbolic exodus. John's call in, in going out into the wilderness was for a new beginning. And as they turned back and as they re-entered the, the promised land, there is this concept of a new beginning. By the way of the Jordan River, they were washed, not as the the clean, righteous people they thought they were, but as the defiled, sinful people they really were. If you were non-Jewish and you wanted to become a Jew, part of the process was by means of a ritual baptism. And John's baptism was a type of reenactment of the Exodus so that a, a Gentile convert could claim to belong to the same people who were freed from slavery in Egypt, coming through the Red Sea and then crossing the Jordan. But John was actually telling these Jewish people, his fellow Jewish people, that they were as guilty before God as the Gentiles were and were in much need of grace as the rest of the world. Therefore he made the Jews get baptised as if they were proselytes who were joining the covenant community for the very first time. Jesus is saying that this is an outward picture. However, the reality that makes a person truly able to participate in the life of the covenant people of God in a true washing that brings you from exclusion to inclusion, from unclean to clean, is not an outward ritual but is the baptism of the Spirit. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, he says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. How do you get into the body of Christ? How do you come to belong? Well, it's through the baptism of the Spirit. And next we come to the normative feature of Pentecost. When you become a Christian, you belong to the body by the baptism of the Spirit. A little bit later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, here is recorded the first uh, uh, record of Gentiles believing in Jesus. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit descended, fell upon all those who heard the word. Now this is an event that looks very similar, like a repetition of Pentecost. And so we might ask, what is going on here? How is it that we have what looks like a repetition of a once unrepeatable event? The Spirit falls upon this Gentile household after Peter preaches to them and people again begin to speak in other languages. What happens also happened on the day of Pentecost here as they received the Holy Spirit just as we have, as Peter records. But there is a difference. There is a difference. This gathering of Gentiles at the moment they were converted, not at some second stage later in their experience, experience received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The giving of the Holy Spirit to these Gentiles, this Holy Spirit baptism was one and the same with their new birth at conversion. And this is the normative pattern today. The Spirit is given to every believer when they come to Christ. And water baptism is merely the outward sign of that inner spiritual reality. And friends, if you have, if, if all you have is an external baptism or a church membership or formal patterns of religious performance, these are not necessarily rituals that you need. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ that you need, baptising you inwardly and giving you new, new life. It's not revival you need here. First of all, you need regeneration. Revival is for people who are already alive but maybe have wilted and they need reviving. If all you have is a formal religion, if you're here because it's what you do on a Sunday and your usual experience has been as soon as the preacher starts, you turn off, what you actually need is the new birth. In John 3, verse 3, Jesus says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says you must be born again. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9b, we, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. We all need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptised with the Spirit? It's the most urgent question to ask today. It reminds me of the hymn. We're going to sing it again. We sang it last week. and I've chosen again to sing it again today. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Saviour, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Have you been born again? That's actually what Pentecost is all about. We can't talk about revival until first we have searched our hearts and asked ourselves if we've been born again. Have you become a child of God by grace through faith in Christ? There has to be real spiritual life before we can talk about the revival of spiritual life. 
So I hope that you can see that Pentecost is unique in history. When you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit once and for all, never again to be repeated. And yet alongside this truth, there are elements of what takes place at Pentecost that do reappear. When we see this in the book of Acts, as we study the book of Acts, and also as we look at church history, something that is normative and repeatable and is needed today. And as we look at Acts uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, the disciples, they got excited. They asked the Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this was the wrong question that the disciples were asking, for they clearly have a, a political kingdom in mind. And, of course, this was the Jewish expectation, after all, that Israel would be empowered to rise to political dominance. And secondly, they have a national kingdom in mind. They're thinking in terms of Israel's restoration as a nation who would, it will order the extent of God's kingdom in the world. And thirdly, they thought in terms of an immediate kingdom. Will you at this time? The disciples' idea of mission is political and national and immediate. Sometimes that we, that's what we think is the church's mission to the world. It's political, it's national and it's immediate. Let's look at Jesus' response in verse 8. Jesus responds in terms of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why was the Spirit given to the church? The Spirit was given to empower us to bear witness to Christ to the ends, even to the ends of the earth. And throughout the book of Acts, though the Spirit is given once and for all, in this special way at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out upon the church again and again, empowering and renewing the church to be bold and effective witnesses to Christ. In Acts chapter 4, as you read through the book of Acts, Peter and John, of course, were imprisoned and they were forbidden to preach the gospel. And so what does the church immediately do? The church immediately gathers to pray. They don't complain. They don't ask for protection from persecution and for it to be removed. What do they ask for? Lord, give us boldness to keep preaching. That's what they prayed. And in Acts 4 verse 31, it says this, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. There we have a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is what we, we would call revival power to gospel witness. This revival power brings the empowering of the Spirit that equips the church to carry the apostolic teaching of the gospel of grace to the ends of the earth. We need boldness like the woman at the well in Samaria. 
when she came to know who Jesus was, she went and told all in her town. Remember the story in John chapter 4, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they came to Jesus. Whatever excitement may be felt in the church, whatever unusual experience we might have in our own lives, there is no real revival when the church is not empowered by the Spirit toward others who are outside with telling them about Jesus. That's always the mark of true revival. As the disciples asked about Israel concerning the kingdom in terms of nationalistic and ethnicity, Jesus says in verse 7 to 8, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, Therefore God also has, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord of all the nations, and the mission of the church is multi-ethnic and multicultural. It's the mission that we fail if the church excludes people on the basis of ethnicity or socio-economic standing. Galatians 3.28 reminds us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No matter who you are, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you're my brother and you're my sister. You're my family and this is your place and you belong here with us. The Holy Spirit is no respecter of class or colour or education or economics or anything else. He makes people who have no reason to be together into a family who are united in Christ. And unity becomes a powerful witness to be together into a family who are united in Christ. Unity is a mark of revival and division, one of its great hindrances. Next, the disciples were talking about timing. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want it right now. They're impatient like most of us. But Jesus replies in terms of gradual expansion. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Jesus is teaching us that we're not to expect immediately what God has ordained in, in, uh, phrase, in phases, in times and in seasons. There are times and seasons as the kingdom of God advances. Just like we have winter, we have spring and we have summer and autumn. There are pruning seasons and there are disciplining seasons. There are seasons of rebuke from God. And there can be dry spells without much vitality or fruit. And then there are times of much vitality and fruitfulness. 
of harvest and of blessing. Revival is the work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the sovereign reigning Christ, empowering the church for bold witness in unity by making by making use of the ordinary means of grace in the preaching of God's word and, of course, in the prayer of his saints for extraordinary ends, bringing many to faith in Christ. That's revival. And it comes, as Jesus says, in times of, and seasons fixed by the Father's authority. There's nothing we can do to make a revival happen. I can't plan it for next Sunday for it's God's gift of grace alone. But what we can do and what we ought to do is what the disciples did when they heard Jesus' promise in verse 14. If you examine the history of revivals, you'll see time and again that before revival comes, the people of God pray. The people of God pray. Each Sunday morning now we have a prayer meeting. It's a little bit early for some. It's at 9.15. It's to give us enough time to spend some time in prayer. And I'm thankful for those who come early. I'd love to see more there. It's a time for people to pray. And on Thursday night this week, we have our prayer meeting online. It's pretty easy to come online and pray. In verse 14, we're reminded these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. How we need to pray, dear brothers and sisters, that God would do again today what he's done in days past and rip open the heavens and come down and bless the ordinary means of his word to awaken a sleeping church with a new boldness, with a new zeal for his glory alone. And so, dear friends, my simple application today is let us pray. Let us pray. I want to see you at the prayer meetings, friends. That's an exhortation. I don't want to put a guilt trip on you. I want you to come because the Lord is calling you to come to prayer. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church. .org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.